soul, I got a sweet salvation. It's beautiful. I got a can be seated. Well, good morning. Today we get the opportunity to share in the celebration of baptism. And baptism is the uniform of the Christian. It's the way we tell the world that we belong to Jesus. He belongs to us. And today in two of our services, we're going to baptize a total of seven children. So uh, in this service, yeah, you go ahead and talk. <clears throat> So in this service, we have six, and then at 945, we have one. And so I want to introduce to you today uh, Raylan Bryan. If you want to come on down, Raylan. Now, Raylan came to me about a year ago and said, I'm ready to be baptized. And we talked, and I said, why don't we give it a little while? And then she came back six months later and said, I'm still ready to be baptized. And I said, that's, that's great. Let's give it a little, little bit longer. And then she came by this week and said, no, Pastor Jake, I'm ready. And so we thought, let's not hold it back anymore. She wants to follow Jesus and make this public. And so um, she is the daughter of Aaron and Sarah Bryan. And if your family, a friend of Raylan's, would you please stand in her honor? Uh, well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. You can be seated. Now, Raylan, the Bible says that if we would confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. So here before your family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Well, my sister, based upon that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we have three brothers, and so you guys can come on and start making your way. They're trying to decide who goes first, I think. All three of you, come on down. All right. So this is Reed Barker, and uh, Reed prayed to receive Christ at Bible school. And so he's here today. If He's the son of Hope and Ryan Barker. And so if you are a family and friend of Reed, would you please stand in his honor? Well, thank you so much for being here. You can be seated. And so, Reed, I'll ask you the same question. Here before your family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. My brother. Based upon that confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Kane Barker. 
Uh, if you are a family or friend of Cain, would you please stand in his honor? Amen. You can be seated. We'll do this one more time. <laughs> but he is the son of Ryan and Hope Barker. Cain, would you confess that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. My brother. Based upon your confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Liam Barker. If you're a friend or a family member of Liam, would you stand? Thank you very much for standing again. Liam, here before your family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. My brother, based upon your confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we have Elijah Wilson. And Elijah is the son of Evan and Bonnie Wilson. Sorry, buddy. And so Evan prayed at his house with his mom and dad to receive Christ. And so Evan, I'm sorry, I'm calling you by your dad's name, Elijah. Will you confess here before your family and friends that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Oh, Elijah, based upon that confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we have Jace Wise. He is the son of Mary Wise and the grandson of Larry and Kathy Dilmer. So Jace, here before your family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. My brother, based upon your confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, let's continue to worship. Baptist Church. We're excited to have you here this morning. That's a great way to, stay, to start the service. Amen. If you're a guest with us, you'll see this little white guest registration card there in the pew rack there in front of you. And if you'll take just a moment to fill it out, it's just a way for us to be able to connect with you. We want to be able to send you information about our church. You can uh, sign up on here through an email to be able to receive our church newsletter. You can indicate on here ways that we can be praying for you as a staff. And so we do that each Monday morning in our staff meetings. And so uh, if you take just a moment to fill this out, at the conclusion of the service, as you're exiting, if you head up to your left, up the ramp, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, uh, will be there at that welcome desk. And you can either hand this to him or here's a box you can place it in. And we've got a small gift for all first-time guests. And so we appreciate you being here today. Uh, let me pray for us as we just continue to worship. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for baptism and just what it symbolizes, that it symbolizes your death your burial and your resurrection. Father, you overcame sin, you overcame death uh, by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. And so because of that, we've got a power through you to live victorious lives in Christ. And so we just say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice on, your, on the cross. Thank you for the death, for your death that gave us new life. 
Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I love this song. It's called Rejoice. Will you stand and let's sing it together.
speak Jesus. You speak Jesus over this place and over his, over his house and over his people. Oh, Lord, let this be our prayer this morning. Jesus. Yes. 
morning calling out your name because your name is power your name is powerful and so Lord we speak Jesus over the over the troubles in our lives we speak Jesus over our country over our over our uh, our communities and over our church and over the households within our church we speak Jesus into these these situations Lord because you alone are the answer and so, Lord, we come before you this morning, opening our ears and our hearts to hear from you today, Lord. You have the words. You have the message that we need to hear today. You have the words of life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated? Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Glad you're here. What a joy to, to witness the baptism of these young people. Just praise God uh, for those baptisms. I, had, uh, I prayed that this year we would baptize more people than we've ever baptized before. I, I shared that in the newsletter last August. The most people we ever baptized uh, in a year was 62 in 2016, which, by the way, is the only year that I sang a solo in church. I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying necessarily there's a connection, but it's a, it's a strange coincidence. I'm, I'm just saying. But uh, with these that we baptized today, we baptize more people than any other year in our, the history of our church. I, we just want to give praise to God uh, for that. God is good. God is good. I've been sharing a series of sermons entitled, Love Your Church. Uh, it's important for us at this time of transition to renew our love for our church. And I want to share a final sermon in this series today by calling you to see the beauty of the church. You know, a lot of people see only the ugliness of the church, and there is some ugliness in the church. Anything that humans are a part of, there will be some ugliness in it. 
because we humans are sinners to our core. We're fallen, and so anything that people are in, there's going to be some ugliness in it. And so it's true of the church as well. And there's some scandal and hypocrisy and politics and power struggles and all of that. And some people then um, see only that ugliness in the church. That researchers uh, categorize the attitudes of people toward church in American culture. And among those with negative attitudes, let me share with you some of the categories. There is a rising group of what's called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who have no religious affiliation, always been some in America, of course, but in this younger generation, a rising number of uh, younger people identify as no religion, don't want any, don't even want a tag of any religion. They're nuns. There's a second group that researchers identify called duns, D-O-N-E-S, and they're just done with church. Many of these people would say that they are Christians. They've been in church before, but because of politics or because some leader has failed them or because of some scandal or become abuse or whatever, they're done with church. And, and there's a rising group of people in that category called duns. I'm, I'm just done with it. There's a third group that I just heard of recently called ums, U-M-M-S. And they're not a, uh, done with church. They're not against it. They're just, um, you know, eh, sort of ambivalent toward church. And some of these are people in the pandemic who got out of church and they've not gotten back in. And they're not against re-engaging with church. They're just sort of indifferent. They're disconnected. Some are disillusioned, but they're just ambivalent. They're just, um, and they, say, they tell us there's a rising number of ums, uh, toward church. All of these people see the ugliness of the church, but I believe they need to see its beauty. So today I want to share with you something of three New Testament passages that speak to us about the beauty of the church. The first one is Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 27. I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. And here Paul accents the beauty of the church by comparing the church to the bride of Christ. He's like a bride. She is like a bride. Uh, Ephesians talks about the church being the body of Christ and the building of Christ, and then it talks about it being the bride of Christ. So in Ephesians 5, 25, Paul is talking to Christian husbands and wives about how they're to love one another and how they're to relate in a Christian marriage. And he says this to husbands in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives. And here's the model. Here's the example just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he's saying to us husbands that the, the pattern for our love is to be self-sacrificing love. Jesus died for his bride. He's comparing the church to a bride. He gave himself up for her. And so you're to have that unselfish, sacrificing kind of love that you protect and give yourself for your wife. And so then in the next verse, he turns from talking about marriage to talk for a moment in these next couple of verses about the church. And he says, to make her, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless and Paul there 
talks about the church as the bride of Christ and talks about her beauty. And we, we always think brides are beautiful, don't we? Now, brides aren't perfect, but you don't point out their flaws, do you? When they're coming down the aisle, you don't say, is that a, a wart on her chin there? You don't do that. Doesn't she sort of have a big nose, don't you think? You don't do that because the, the, the bride is not perfect, but the bride is beautiful, and you focus on that, and that's what Paul is doing here. And he piles up these words, do you hear them here, that describe her beauty. That these, let me read them again. They are to present her as a radiant, glowing, glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Now here's what Paul is doing as he focuses on that. He finds beauty in the church by focusing on what the church is becoming. What the church is becoming. God, you see, there's ugliness in the church because people in it, but there is beauty in the church because God is involved in this. And God is working, these verses say, Christ is working in the church to make her beautiful. One of the processes, this verse says, is by the washing with water through the word. Now, what does that mean? Some people think it refers to baptism that we've seen. But I think this washing with water through the word is speaking about the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And God is using his ordained way of worship, of preaching and teaching the word, to beautify us, to cleanse us. Uh, some people say uh, sometimes to me, oh, I, I don't remember all your sermons. I can't, I can't remember them. I wish I remembered more. And, and I sometimes say, well, it, part of the purpose is information, that you know some things, but there's the other purpose of transformation. And you don't remember every bath you've ever had, but it still did you some good. It's a good thing you've taken a few in your life, Right? It is the same way with church and with preaching. The water of the Word is washing us. And it's changing us as we encounter it and we listen to it. It's powerful in our lives. And we are becoming that church without stain or wrinkle or blemish or any other defect. And that will happen at his return. He's speaking there of the return of Jesus Christ. It is like when you become a Christian, you're engaged to Jesus. You're betrothed to Jesus. And in this process of betrothal, he, you are becoming beautiful like a bride getting ready. I don't know what brides do to get ready. I guess they do their hair, do their nails, they pick out a dress, all those things. And that process of getting beautiful, that is what's happening, these verses say now. He's cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself. And so when Jesus comes again, it's going to be like the wedding. And the bride is going to be ready. So don't, don't diss the church for what it is now look instead at what it is becoming through the power of God in it and behold the beauty of the bride now how can we get a glimpse of that future coming beauty of the bride are there any glimpses of it in the present I believe there are and I think we need to see them it'll help us to love his church so I want to take you to a second passage that I think shares some of the beauty of the church and it's a really an odd passage for us to look at it's Romans 16 it's the last chapter in the book of Romans and on first reading it's just a list of names at the end of Romans Paul uh, sends greetings to the people he knows in the church at Rome he's never been there he didn't found that church but because of the travel of the Roman Empire there are a lot of people in that cosmopolitan church that he's known from all over his missionary travels and he lists 26 names there that he greets <clears throat> and this is one of those passages when you're reading through the Bible and you just sort of skim through it you know it's just a list of names uh, but I think if you look at those names 
you see something of the beauty of the church. Let me show you what I mean. In Romans chapter 16, beginning uh, at verse 3, first of all, in verses 3 and 4, the beauty of the church is seen in its sacrificial service. If you'll, look, if you'll see the, the service, sacrificial service of the church, you'll get a glimpse of its beauty. Here's verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. This is a married couple. Isn't that great? Their nine, names rhyme. You're looking for a husband or a wife? Look for somebody like whose name rhymes with yours. I don't know if that works or not. Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. We don't know when that was. We do know from Acts 18 that Paul met Priscilla and Aquila at Corinth on his missionary journey because Claudius, the Roman emperor, Acts 18 says, had expelled all the Jews from Rome. So they lived here in Rome. They got kicked out. Claudius expelled all the Jews. That meant Jewish Christians as well. They got expelled. They came to Corinth. Paul met them there. They joined with him part-time on his missionary team, and they went to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there was a great riot because the silversmiths were mad that they couldn't sell idols anymore because Paul was preaching there was a one true God. A riot came, and Paul escaped. Was it Priscilla and Aquila in that riot? We don't know that's when, but sometime they risked their lives to rescue Paul, and they saved his life, and he's gratefully indebted to them for their sacrificial service. And there are several others in this list that Paul will call my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's the beauty of the church. In the church, you see sacrificial service to people in the name of Jesus. And today, there are people working in disaster relief. And you know what the three largest disaster relief organizations are? Red Cross, Salvation Army, and Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. All three of those, why were they founded? Founded in the name of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ because that is what compels us to sacrificial service. And you don't see atheists doing that disaster relief, do you? Here's a group of uh, atheists united and disaster. No, it's Christian organizations. These terrible fires in Hawaii. Cindy and I stayed in that town for three or four days when we were on Maui, and it's such a beautiful town, and now it's gone. Almost 100 people so far have, they've listed have died there. And who will be there in those ashes? It'll be Southern Baptists. It'll be Red Cross. It'll be Salvation Army that are working there. Why do people go from our church on disaster relief trips? Why do they chaperone mission trips and sleep on an air mattress on a gym floor? Why would you give up your vacation to go help somebody whose house burnt down like that? It is because the one who died for us, who Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and we are his followers, and we mimic that, and you will see the beauty of sacrificial service in the the church that you will not see. Why are there people right now watching preschoolers that are not their own? Who even wants to watch their own preschoolers, much less somebody else's preschoolers? Why are there people in this building right now, some of them have done it for 30 years, every Sunday morning. Why are they doing that? Because in the name of Jesus Christ, we have seen his sacrifice, and it brings us to sacrificial service, and there is beauty in that. If you see only the ugliness, I would have you to open your eyes and see the beauty. Behold the beauty of the bride. There's a second thing in this list that I think gives us a little bit of glimpse of the beauty of the church. And that is the beauty of the church is seen in its welcoming spirit. In its welcoming spirit. 
If you go on from verse 5 and following, you see a diversity of people that Paul lists. This church at Rome is made up of a great diversity of people. All are welcome. And we see, first of all, in verse 5, that there are both Gentiles and Jews in this church. You remember, those groups did not like each other. Jews uh, looked down on Gentiles, but in the church of Jesus Christ, those have been brought together. So verse 5 says, Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He's a, a Gentile. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for me. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Do you see there are both Jews and Gentiles here? You read on in the next verses, and you will see that there are both rich people and slaves here, both from upper economic strata and the lower the verses in verses 8 through 9 scholars who study this say that those are slave names from inscriptions from Roman inscriptions from studying names these were common names of slaves greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachys. So these are slaves, our former slaves who have come to Christ. And then the next verse, he says in verse 10, greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. In the next verse is the other end of the social spectrum. This is a person of a royal household, and it does not say he's become a Christian, but members of his household are. See, it doesn't say Greek Aristobulus. He's apparently not in the church, but members of his royal household are. Isn't it amazing that Herod the Great, who was so against Jesus, tried to kill him as a baby, and God, in the irony of and the beauty of the church, members of his grandson's household are now followers of the one he tried to kill. But you see here, there are both slaves or former slaves and royalty, upper class in the church. The next verse, greet Herodian. That would be a member, another member of Herod's household or family, my fellow Jew. And then you'll see in this list, six of the 26 names that are listed here are women. That may not seem significant to you, but you need to understand in the Roman and even in the Jewish culture, women were not highly regarded, were not put on equal footing with men. It is Christianity that has elevated the role of women in culture throughout the centuries, and it began even here. So listen to these women who are identified as co-workers with Paul. Verse 12, greet Trophina and Trophosa. Don't you like those names? Uh, they, they mean dainty and delicate. I picture them as twin sisters. Don't know that they were twins, but probably sisters. Why else? Trophina and Trophosa. I mean, you know, they got to be sisters, probably twins, dainty and delicate. Maybe they were born uh, sort of small and they were petite little women, but he says of them, they worked hard in the Lord. And then the next line, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And you go through this list, six of the 26 are women, and it is men and women on the same footing there. I'm saying to you that you see the beauty of the church and its welcoming spirit. At its Yes, the church has been exclusionary at times because God's not finished washing with us. But at its best, no matter who you are, what your background, what your race, what your ethnicity, what your former lifestyle, you're welcome in the church because that's the beauty 
of the bride, it is an anticipation of heaven when there will be a great multitude from every tribe, language, and nation. And we are overcoming those divisions and those differences by bringing people together at the foot of the cross with a common faith in Jesus Christ. Behold the beauty of the bride. I would share with you in this list a third glimpse of the beauty of the church, and it's seen in its family love, in its family-like love. The next verse, verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. I don't know, we don't know about Paul's parents. Were his parents dead? Was his mom dead? Did they disown him when he turned from uh, persecuting the church to following Christ? But this woman, Rufus' mom, had been like a mother to him. And there is in the church of Jesus Christ a family like love. I have experienced that from you, and I'm very grateful for that. I have a small family, and there are people in this church. Paul will use the term brothers and sisters throughout this passage, and here he uses the mother. And there have been those in this church who have been like a brother to me, like a sister to me, like a mother to me. You may have experienced that. There's a family like love in the church. There is a story that may be hidden in this verse. Greet Rufus and his mother, who has been like a mother to me. In Mark 15 31, Mark when he's telling about Jesus carrying his cross, only Mark's gospel tells this. Mark's gospel probably written to the church at Rome, this church. Mark says that when Jesus stumbled, they conscripted a man named Simon from Cyrene to carry the cross. And then only Mark records, it says, he was the father of Rufus and Alexander. Now, why would he put that detail in there? Why, if you're just telling the story of Jesus going to the cross, and you, this guy, they got this guy to carry the cross the rest of the way, why do you put who his kids were? Unless those kids were known to the audience to which he was writing. So could it be the reason Mark says he was, Simon of Cyrene was the father of Rufus and Alexander, that Rufus and Alexander and Simon's wife had become followers of Christ and they were in the church at Rome and he knew them. Could it be that Rufus' mom, who became a mother to me, was the wife of Simon of Cyrene? It says that men from Cyrene started the church at Antioch where Paul began his missionary journeys. Could it have been that this woman, captivated and changed by the gospel of Christ and her sons had become like a family to Paul? There is a family love in the church and so if you don't have much family or if you have a family that doesn't support you in following Christ you can find in the church a surrogate family or an extended family that has been true in my life Jesus when he was preaching one time his mother and his brothers did not yet believe in him who would believe that their own family member would become you know who was the Messiah and so one time they came to get him. They thought he was crazy. They were going to take him away for the good of everybody involved. And somebody said to Jesus, Mark chapter 3, verse 34 and 35, your mother and your brothers are outside to get you. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked around at them and said, 
Whoever does the will of these are my mother and my brothers and my sister. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. There is a family love in the church. Later, when Jesus was dying on the cross, I think by this time his mother had become a believer, but his brothers were not yet. And so Jesus looks down from the cross and says to the apostle John, Behold your mother, and to his mother, behold your son. And the Bible says from that time on, John took her into his home and cared for her. Now after the resurrection, the brothers of Jesus were saved and became followers as well. But in that interim time, the apostle John became that son to the mother of Jesus. And I would say to you that if you're searching for belonging You can find it in the church of Jesus Christ because there is a family love here that speaks of its beauty. Behold, the beauty of the bride. I want to tell you a story about two boys who grew up in North Georgia in the 1960s. One of those boys was me. I was a kid in the 1960s, grew up in a church in North Georgia. And I grew up in a church that exemplified the beauty of Christ. Oh, it was not a perfect church. There were some things wrong with it. But basically, it was a warm, loving family, a welcoming family, a hard-working family in the name of Christ. And I had a good foundational church experience, and it has led me to be positive about the church throughout my life. I'm grateful for that foundation that it has not been hard for me to see the beauty of the church. Second boy that grew up in North Georgia in the 1960s, six years older than me, so he was a teenager in the 1960s. And he grew up in a negative, legalistic church. He said that uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't bowl because they served alcohol in bowling alleys sometimes. They couldn't roller skate because that was too much like dancing, and you know, well, you know, dancing, that's just bad. And they couldn't read the Sunday newspaper. It was a very legalistic church. It was a racist church, and people in his church were a member of the Klan, and he saw some of that connection and that activity, and he hated the church, and as soon as he got old enough, he left the church. He was a done. He was done with the church. His name is Philip Yancey. Some of you will know him from his writings. He's one of the most published Christian authors in the world, wrote What's So Amazing About Grace. You understand where that title came from? Uh, The Jesus I Never Knew. And Yancey overcame that negative experience growing up that had completely soured him on the church because through the years he encountered some Christians that showed him grace and kindness and love And he saw an amazing sacrificial spirit, and he came to see the beauty of the church. And he came back to the church and has been one of its greatest blessings over the last 50 years. God can do that in your life as well. If you would see not only the ugliness, which is there whenever any people are involved, but when God is involved, there is beauty, and there is beauty in the church of Jesus Christ. I share with you one more passage of Scripture. It's a view to the end. It's a view of the return of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And the washing with water has been completed. And God, who is transforming us from self-centered, ugly people, little by little, there's some ups and downs, right? We fall back sometimes. But God, who is transforming us, completes that process and the last verse says then the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and he added these are the true words of God and one day those who have experienced the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and have been sanctified by the washing of the water will be glorified and made completely without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And we will sit down with our bridegroom. We who have walked by faith will sit in sight with him with an intimacy that we've never known and a fellowship that we've never experienced and a love that we've only known a little bit of. And the journey will be complete. Let us gaze at the beauty of the bride, that we will love his church now. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, maybe there's somebody listening to my voice who's been done. Maybe there's somebody who's just, uh, um, or a nun, or some other reaction. I pray today that they would fall in love with you, Lord Jesus, and fall in love with your bride and that they would commit themselves to your church, and that they would run the race, and that they would be washed with the water of the word and not give up and give grace to others who are struggling in that process as well. Keep our eyes, Lord, on the vision, the final chapter, that we may see the beauty of the bride. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song of commitment, invitation. You can come forward if you want to pray. Receive Christ, join our church, make other response. Time for you to respond to God's word. Knowing the battle 
Okay, just a thing or so we need to do before we uh, uh, close today. First of all, we need to vote on our uh, budget. It's been presented to you uh, several ways in our member meeting and our newsletter. And so as we've announced, this is the final vote on our budget. Oftentimes we've done that by ballot because we've been voting on deacons at the same time. We don't have new deacons to vote on this year. So rather than go to that problem for that final yes or no vote, we had no amendments uh, presented to the budget. We had no discussion or questions about it. So we're just going to do that by a show of hands to make that easier in each of our services. So if you're a member of our church, uh, we're going to ask you to vote. We're going to vote yes or no. If you're in favor of that budget presented by our stewardship committee, made available to our congregation, begins September 1st, our new budget year, would you please raise your hand if you're in favor of that? Thank you. You may lower them if you're opposed. And I see no negative votes, and we will... Um, we'll do that in each of our services. Thank you for participating. Glad to share with you today. This is Hudson Bell. Hudson, would you come stand with me? And, and Mark, you can come. This is Dad. Mark, stand with him. And Hudson came this morning to say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. And we are so excited for him. Amen? And uh, I think Jake's talked with him this week, and uh, they've talked. And so we just want to rejoice with him today, and he'll be baptized at a future time. Hudson, best thing you've ever done in your life. We're going to be praying for you as you grow in the Lord, okay? God bless you. Thanks. Y'all can have a seat, and uh, I'm going to lead in a prayer for you and uh, for one another, and then this will be our closing, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we are full of joy today at these who have already been baptized and now for Hudson Bell and for his family as he comes to claim that Jesus is his Savior and Lord. I pray for him as he's baptized and grows in you that he will be transformed into the image of Jesus, that he'll be kept from the evil one, and that he'll grow all of his life to be a man of God who serves in you and loves you. Thank you for this time of worship today. Bless us as we go, Lord. I pray as we give our offerings now through the offering boxes or online, we commit our giving to you. I pray for our connection groups as we join in small groups and share life together that you bless each connection group leader and each group that meets. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the church we're a part of. In the name of Jesus, amen.